So we, we wanted to share some um, reflections on the, on the theme of, of this session tonight. And um, yeah, and maybe we can see them as that, some, some reflections which hopefully will be, will be useful for our exploration together. And so I'll kind of speak a little bit and then Nathan will, um, will carry on. There's something about uh, the way uh, a lot of Dharma practice is structured yeah, that can uh, very much feel uh, or is, you know, a kind of internal exploration. You know, when we practice, we're really cultivating a listening right when we're practicing formally um like we just did now cultivating a listening to our own experience yeah so we can say the the kind of uh the listening is is internal and sometimes we can kind of make that uh kind of conclusion from that if it's internal therefore it's personal yeah it can be quite interesting that connection and so from that, there can also be a sense that, that in here, yeah, the experience of this being of this body, heart and mind um, is somehow uh, separate from what is outside. Yeah? Or if we're in interaction with another person that um, kind of I'm here and you're there. <laughs> yeah? And there's kind of a sense of two kind of units yeah and maybe as i'm just kind of drawing this out and saying it maybe i'm saying that doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah and um i hope a little bit i hope i hope that's what you're thinking um or a lot yeah that um you know it's not very faithful that sense of i'm here as a separate unit from you over there yeah, right in this moment, we can see that it's not actually a very uh, faithful understanding of our practice or of any kind of aspect of our lives or of the teachings. So something that that we found very, very helpful is to see Dharma practice, yeah, to actually see it, say it, <laughs> not sort it, uh, to see it and say it as a relational practice. You know, Dharma is relational, yeah. Dharma is about relationship, yeah. Dharma practice, and then not just Dharma practice, but also Dharma understanding is leading us there to see, ah, there's a relationship um, that's very, very significant in any uh, sort of experience. So, you know, that what is happening in here is not separate from the external and we can see that right now yeah in this interaction <laughs> yeah we're all seemingly sitting in our own space yeah and yet we're being impacted right by the presence of others we're being impacted by uh, a voice um the content yeah the expressions and other people's faces if we're looking at the screen 
So we can say, ah, these teachings, these practices are pointing, yeah, that there's a relationship here that has significance to us as beings and that is really worthwhile um, exploring. So we can kind of take another step on this um, in this kind of reflection and say what happens when we look at Dharma teachings, at Dharma practices as relational practices, as practices of relationship, happening in relationship, um, embodying um, relationships. And what do we mean by that? We can say, you know, that any experience that we have is actually shaped also by a relational field. Yeah by how I am relating yeah, to what is unfolding or what is coming up um, in, in my experience. How am I relating? That makes sense to people. Like I think I, I'm looking at this screen. I think a lot of you, I think most of you have heard me say this many times. <laughs> Um, I just want to make sure that, yeah, we're all on board with that, you know, that our experience is shaped also through the way that we relate yeah. to it. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give a little example anyway, you know, I've had this back pain for the last, I don't know what it is, six weeks or something. Yeah. And I can notice that if, um, if I'm relating to that pain with, um, aversion or worry <laughs> yeah and what happens is there's a contraction that follows that yeah? and that actually shapes the experience it becomes uh, more difficult yeah if i relate to that pain with um a sense of compassion a sense of allowing a sense of interest a sense of kindness yeah and there's a sense of um you know, that experience changes. It doesn't mean the pain goes away. Sorry to tell you that in case you were hopeful there for a moment. <laughs> Sometimes it does. Yeah. But the kind of problematic aspect changes. And so the experience is, that's just a really little example that just came up for me. And it's not a terrible back pain, just to, in case you're concerned. <laughs> yeah. It just came up to just have that sense how ah, the way I relate actually shapes the experience yeah, in small ways, in really significant ways, actually also. And so something that we do in our practice is that we cultivate um, ways of relating that are wholesome and beneficial. And interestingly enough, it's the same ways of relating that are wholesome and beneficial when we meet our own experience, but also when we meet others. Right? You know, it would be the same thing. I mean, we saw it in, in the beautiful kind of sharings at the beginning, right? If we could include ourselves, yeah, in the field of our service, yeah? Treat ourselves the same way, maybe, as we do another when we see them, an object of service, how that would shift. If I could see something that I'm already doing, parenting, my job, as a form of service, as a form of generosity, as a form of offering, yeah? How would that change it? 
Yeah, so we could see that in the beautiful things that you already said. In our practice, we cultivate ways of relating that are beneficial to others and ourselves, and they're very much the same. Yeah. And we also let go of unwholesome, unbeneficial yeah, ways of relating that do not um, bring about the well-being, the release, the awakening, the freedom for others and ourselves. So maybe we can see that a big part of our practice is cultivating these ways of relating and actually seeing um, how does I re- how do I relate to others? Yeah, how do I relate uh, to dukkha? Yeah, to suffering in its different manifestations. Yeah, whether it's personal, internal, physical, emotional, whether it's um, with another, whether it's in the world. Yeah. So that is actually part of our practice, right? How do I relate to others? How do I relate to the world? How do I relate to the dukkha, the ill-being? That is present in all its many manifestations. That's part of our practice. And when we can remember this, then we can see, first of all, any situation becomes um, an arena of practice and an opportunity. Yeah, it's not limited to when I have my eyes closed and I'm still. Yeah, but actually any arena becomes, um, any uh, situation becomes an arena of practice and an an opportunity. And that opens up so many possibilities of practice. (laughs) So many, again, as you have expressed here very beautifully. Yeah. So many possibilities, and it really deepens um, and enriches our practice. And, and this is kind of part of, of the gateway that what we're calling service yeah, opens up and allows. And um, I can't even remember the description <laughs> what this session was supposed to be, I'm sorry. But I'm hopeful that we included in it, yeah, that when we talk about service, we're including all the things that were mentioned here, yeah, what we do, yeah, as a job, yeah, our parenting, our relationships with those that are close to us, yeah, as well as, you know, our activism or um, our volunteering, yeah, all of that, yeah, all of that is included in that concept. Because it's really about, um, you know, that capacity that we have, yeah, to remember, yeah, to remember, yeah, it's not something we need to create, it's something we need to remember that our world is not contained, yeah, in just this body, heart and mind. In that relational field and it includes, yeah, everything and everyone that we come into contact with. So... There's a kind of an opening of possibilities and a real enrichment um, to our practice as we do this. And I want to give a, a little example. Uh, this, this is from, from a friend of mine. Um, and he recently, I think about six weeks ago, something like that, he started um, offering meditation classes to uh, people in prison. 
and it's the first time he's doing something like that all of that <laughs> it's the first time he's come into contact with uh, people who are doing time who are in that kind of environment it's also the first time he's uh, trying to um to, to teach to support others in their practice yeah. and you know he, he was telling me quite a lot about it and i i immediately said to him as soon as he started i said to him you know i'm gonna I'm going to tell other people these things. Is that okay? And he said, yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of really wonderful things. So I have his permission. But I think one of the, one of the most wonderful things that he shared was, um, he said, you know, so I'm nervous, right? Because it's the first, I'm, I'm just starting to do this. And um, plus there's a language barrier and there's cultural barriers. There's all of that in the mix. Um, and I've, I do a lot to prepare and I come with my plan. <laughs> it's really well thought out and it's really good. <laughs> and, and then some, you know, things happen in the group. Yeah. Things happen. And I have to make a choice. What do I listen to? Yeah. Do I listen to what I've prepared, prepared in advance in this really great plan? <laughs> Or do I listen to what's happening in that group in that moment and respond to that? Yeah. And he said the beautiful thing is that when I listen to the group, yeah, or we could say, you know, if we think about our personal practice, when I listen to what's unfolding in the moment, yeah, then it all comes together. <laughs> and what actually unfolds is much better than what I'd prepared, yeah, beforehand. Yeah. It's much better. And so one, one way um, Nathan in particular likes to speak about meditation practice is meditation is listening. Yeah. And so we can see in that example, you know, I come into a situation, that situation is, you know, really pushing my buttons. It's challenging. Yeah. He, he's being challenged on multiple levels. Yeah. And then, you know, bringing in the le listening on the deepest level yeah, of a group process, right? What's happening in the group? What's being caught in without any training in that particular thing, but with training and meditation practice and being able to just open that out into that situation. And then bringing creativity yeah, into the moment. So I'll, I'll just share a little one more thing from him, which I, I found really moving and beautiful. So this is in Israel. And um, my friend is Jewish Israeli. And when he arrived and met the group in the prison, turns out that they are all Palestinian Israelis. They're all Muslim in this case. They're all Palestinian Israelis. So there's a language barrier. Yeah, they speak Hebrew, but varying degrees. But it's not their native tongue. And we can kind of get a sense of like, if you don't understand a language very well, the subtlety of meditation is quite challenging. Um, and also, there's a, there's a, it's a different culture. Yeah? And so he's struggling a little bit with this. And then um, the social worker <laughs> says to him, who sometimes joins the classes, it's also really nice, says to him, you know, you need to find the common ground. You need to find something that they already know. And you know, he gives him a big tip, he says, you know, they all pray at least once a day, yeah? They all pray at least once a day. And so he goes and he 
really starts reading up about Islam, yeah? And he finds a word, he finds a concept in Muslim practice, which is actually meditation. It's actually kind of looking at yourself through God's eyes, yeah? So you're observing your own experience in a way that supports you to understand, yeah? Yourself and your experience more deeply and to align, yeah? With your deepest intentions, yeah? So he finds this concept, yeah? And so he learns, you know, this creativity, this listening, and just like in our practice. So he's learned something really beautiful. And I, I get shivery when I say that. Yeah? And now here's the effect with us. Yeah? Hopefully we're also getting moved by this. Yeah? By this experience, by this, by this concept. Looking at yourself through God's eyes. Yeah? What a beautiful, beautiful way yeah, to approach. So as we explore, as we look, we can see, yeah, Dharma practice, meditation, it's listening, yeah, it's a relational thing, yeah, and that can be nourishing and enriching in ways uh, that broaden, that widen our practice. And when we talk about service, we also kind of talk about this um, understanding, yeah, again, it's a remembering of something that we already know, yeah, that when we practice yeah, we're not practicing just for ourselves. That's not possible. <laughs> Sometimes I say to people, try. <laughs> See if you can practice just for yourself. Come on, try. <laughs> it's not possible. And yet, you know, we understand that. And when we bring that intentionality, that sense, yeah, we're opening the practice to actually be in alignment with the depth of what it is. Practicing, um, you know, for the welfare of all, yeah? for the ending of suffering for all, yeah, and that becomes such a powerful thing for for I know for myself, yeah. When I remember that, the big picture, the long view, yeah, how supportive that is, in moments of personal difficulty, yeah? as well as in moments of meeting the suffering in the world. So as we open in that way, we're changing a very strong habit of our heart and mind, yeah? To be very, very much concerned with ourselves or who's near us. We're changing that, we're transforming that, we're remembering that isn't who uh, we really aspire to be. We're changing our way of relating, we're also changing the world. We're changing the world because the world is made up of all of us and each of us. Yeah. So there's many opportunities for service. I touched on that a little bit, countless, you know, from, you know, spontaneous opportunities in the moment, yeah. Holding a door for someone, yeah. Working with someone for quite some time around, you know, cooking a meal for, for, for the family or, you know, washing up <laughs> for your roommates, yeah, for your housemates. What happens if we see that as an act of service? Because it is, yeah. And so playing with that, yeah, because we're training our perception. We're training in ways of relating um, that are supportive. So there can be many spontaneous opportunities and um, also 
kind of a part of our roles, as people have uh, mentioned, yeah? things we're already doing. Yeah? And there can also be, of course, sustained things that we give ourselves to, that we dedicate ourselves to. Again, whether it's in a role and remembering that choice, I'm choosing to be here. I'm choosing to be a parent. I'm choosing to be, um, you know, a service provider. <laughs> yeah. I'm choosing to be a volunteer. I'm choosing to be an activist. I'm realigning myself in that place. Yeah, over and over again, as an act of service, as an act of alignment, from that understanding and deepening that understanding about um, the relational aspect of our existence and the possibilities that arise from it. So I'm going to stop there to give some time to Nathan. And he's got the more difficult job, I'll just say that, because, you know, I could just talk about whatever I wanted. Now he's got to pick up the pieces. And, you know, yeah, I may have not spoken about what I was supposed to. Who knows? <laughs> Over to you. All right, thanks. Yeah, really lovely, lovely reflection on the, on the theme we have here. Um, yeah, it's interesting to do to do something together in this way. Um, and it's also, you know, this this what's unfolding here is also an act of service, um, but it's a reciprocal service. You know, you're also bringing a service uh, to us by, by showing up and by, um, you know, listening. So, you know, like these there's this there's this play in service, which it's really worth um, understanding. Uh, um, when we were, uh, you know, there's kind of line in the Sutta, the Buddha saying, you know, when I was a mere Bodhisattva, all the all the mistakes I used to make, and then thankfully, you know, I've learned all of them. So no, I'm a I'm a mistake in action. But uh, this 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 kind of idea of like service is about giving someone something, you know, um, and that that whole view kind of needs to get transcended into this. Oh, it's a sharing you know, it's so nice to be able to give. How good am I at receiving? You know, how, how good am I at kind of participating along when someone's leading? Or do I need to be leading? Or, or do I always need to be another way? It's like that, that flexibility that, um, you know, is kind of shining through in that, that story that, that Zoe was giving. Actually, you know, I've got my plan and I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you. Okay, who need who here needs to be helped? It's like, oh, that's asking a lot. <laughs> that's really asking a lot, you know. Um, so I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna ask you to do something, and really feel free to do it or not do it as you like. Like, uh, I I would much prefer that this room wasn't muted. That's just my thing. Like, I I don't know why we go in for all this muting stuff. Um, yeah, I just you know. So if you're happy to be unmuted, I would love it. You know, it would it would be a service <laughs> of service to me. But if you prefer to be muted, you know, I totally respect that. I can understand why someone might want to be uh, not not um, projecting their the sounds of their environment into the space. Um, because the best thing is, I might I might eventually say something funny, and then I'd like to hear you laugh. No, it's 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 really not about that. <laughs> 
I expect Zoom. I expect Zoom mutes all laughing anyway. You know, so so we can we can trust. Them. <laughs> so there's a there's a word in our in our title that maybe we haven't touched on yet. Awakening, right? Am I right? I think awakening is in the title. Dharma service and awakening. Um, so sometimes we ask this question: What is awakening? And that's a great question because you can turn it around in various ways. Like what? What what is this thing that is waking up? You know, what is this entity that's waking up? Uh, also, what what does awakening look like? What's it defined as? You know, um, what what is what defines a more awake being than a less awake being? How do I know that I'm getting more awake? Uh, you know, how, how does it express itself? And through this path, it kind of tends to express itself in in three ways, one of which um, is deeper understanding, uh, deeper understanding of where happiness comes from, deeper understanding of where suffering comes from in our own experience. Um, very useful, especially if we want to be of service to others, you know, to have a generally good sense of, well, okay, what what is the way that you're looking at this? What's the way that you're holding this? You know, the way you're conceiving of this situation and is there something we can do around there that's going to ease out the, the situation there? I think a second quality that we can look at as an expression of this freedom feeling, this awakening freedom, is, is the well-being you know, that we can cultivate in this body-heart-mind at times, to feel more harmonized, to feel more open, to feel more. Yeah. And... Probably the third area that I think about is similar to what Zara was calling this relational quality. And I tend to kind of see it to do with, um, to use everyday language, which I'm a big fan of if, whenever possible, you know, expressions of love that come through us. Yeah. And, you know, generosity, kindness, appreciation. Yeah, and it might come in the way of words, it might come in the way of thoughts. It might come in the way of actions. Yeah, you know, might just it might just be something that's that's there. It just becomes more present for us. Yeah. So those kinds of awakening will come more and more available to us through, you know, bringing bringing our path into the world. Yeah. And. Um, you know, it's a really lovely um, book title that really resonates with this, uh, the, the ho a whole life path, a whole life path, that it's not um, that we retreat away from the world, you know, for some spectacular spiritual experience. That would be one view of the, the journey of awakening. But actually, we head out into the world for the well-being of all beings you know and there's those um bodhisattva vows you know that kind of take on the great paradox you know even though beings are limitless i vow to save them all yes you know, oh you you aspirational being they're limitless you're not going to save all of them <laughs> as soon as you save 
a bunch, there's going to be a bunch more unsaved. But actually, you know, what's what's that mean to take on those kinds of vows, to take on those kinds of directions? And it seems to me that we sometimes inherit a, a view of a renunciate, renunciating the world, renouncing the world, you know, a view of, of Dharma. That that's what the Buddha was really up to. You know, that this world, oh, it's full of dukkha. And there's somewhere else that's got no dukkha. And that's, that's where you need to get to. And, you know, sometimes this, you know, one, two, three, four, noble truth um, patterning is kind of there's you know that in life there's there's suffering that experience we know you know there's distress there's stressfulness there's look out your window read the newspaper have you noticed the world is full of suffering yeah but that suffering has a cause has a causal condition and it's you know greed hatred and delusion and for some reason we are we've learnt that pattern language wherever that comes from yeah, if that's our biology, if it's our culture, it's our, you know, everything else, our, you know, upbringing, our education, get one up on the universe, you know, be the best, succeed, you know, trash the planet, whatever that is, yeah. And we see, oh, okay, so we're dukkha creators through the way that we relate. But the way of relating is optional, right? We have moments where we're not greedy, we're not full of hatred, we're not completely <laughs> deluded, you know, for a glimmer, for a moment. And what happens? Dukkha fades away. So we know this, we know this truth. Yeah. And so this cessation, the fading down of the dukkha experiences is available for us. Right. And that can get deeper, more subtler and if you imagine that, you know, over time, people got better and better at causing the appearance of less and less dukkha, then we could manifest a, a, a philosophy of Buddhism, which is actually, you've got to get that down to zero. It really is the absolute elimination of all dukkha is, is, the, is the path, right? And then there's this path, this eightfold path appears, and that's a path that you keep spinning and cycling and turning and wheeling and round and round and round until you deepen it and deepen it and deepen it until there's nothing, until there's nothing. So that's one way that we could, we could view that. Um, that's where the Dharma goes. This eightfold noble path is to lead you to the absolute cessation of the world. And that's, that's great. And that's, that's, you know, that's it. And then you get there and it, then, then you're not anything anywhere at any time. And that, you know, fantastic thing to be able to do in dedication of the practice. But I wonder if there's like a reading of this historical timing where, you know, people are having interactions with the Buddha and then they suddenly say, wow, you've done it. You've turned it upright. What was upside down? I get it. I get it. And in that exchange, in that moment, what do they get? Did they get that? Whoa, boom. Everything faded away. It was complete disappearance. It didn't take lots and lots of practice, many, many cycles around the thing. Oh, they, you know, they, you know, they were almost completely awakened. And, 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 but why do they ask such a stupid question just five minutes ago? But they clearly hadn't heard anything about these teachings and practices. But then they got it. It's like, wow, 
you know, amazing, amazing, Master Katama. You've turned it the right way up, that which was upside down. I get it. It's brilliant. Now I'm going to join your club. You know, I'm going to join your movement and I'm going to practice in this way. The Eightfold Path leads away from this experience. It's like it dropped out. It dropped out that I now understand how it depends. And that understanding then leads into this path. And this path is the path that we walk into the world, into the world, to allow us to relate in the world to other beings to cause massively less suffering than we would otherwise. And for me, kind of seeing and hearing and, 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 and feeling the teachings in that way feels really good. It was really inspiring to me to want to see the path this way. That this is actually, yes, get it. Do you get it? That suffering is dependently caused. Caused on the state of the heart and the mind, the body right this moment. Yeah. And then these teachings aren't just, it's possible to use these to change the world. But actually, it's really clear that the Buddha wanted to shape society. He speaks in that language. You know, he talks about building a city, talks about, you know, developing these relationships, talks about a, like a different world is possible for us. You, know, you can kind of seek out those, those aspects, those elements of the teachings, which perhaps, you know, histologically kind of get lost a little bit because it went through this kind of hyper monastic, um, you know, kind of phase. But that's, that's you know, kind of a, a different question. The question is, do we want to change the world? Do we want to change the world? And, and, I, and I really hope we do, because it's not there yet, right? This mm -hmm. is suboptimal. Yeah, this is not our best effort <laughs> collectively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what is the world? What is the world? Are we a part of this world? Or are we kind of looking at the world and saying, oh, well, the world of, you know, like the world of my newspaper, I can go and do very little of that. But the world around me, the world of interactions. Mm. And in a sense, this, this way that we are reborn in moment by moment due to our culture, due to our biology, due to our learnings, due to our habits. There we're shaping the world through how we live, through how we act. You know, how we become, through what we say. Yeah. And that's really clear in certain relationships where we really recognize, you know, this person is really shaped by my actions, by my involvement. But is there anyone in our life who isn't shaped in that way? Yeah. And so... I think about two ways in which we shape the world. One way is actually this world that you experience is, where is it? It, it, it feels with such obvious conviction that it's out there. <laughs> There's some kind of, it's out there. And that's how the world is. But I think all of us have tasted in our experience, the world that feels like it's out there is so impacted by how well I slept. It's so impacted by how much coffee I've drunk. You know, it's so impacted by what hormones and and uh, uh, all the rest of the things you know, kind of flowing through my system. 
that world out there is in here too. It's all in here too. The way I feel it, the way I see it, the way I view it, what perspective I'm taking on this world is so radically shaped by what's going on here, not least of actually what I conceive of as the world. Yeah. Through my education, through my views, through my sense of the things. Yeah. But secondly, we cannot but shape the world. And, you know, I, I used to think that people were right when they said, you can't change the world. You, Nathan, you can't change the world. And you obviously want to, but you can't change the world. <laughs> and you tend to kind of believe people who tell you this. But it's completely the opposite. It's completely the opposite. You can't not change the world. Now imagine if someone said to you, don't change the world. Don't have any impact on the world. You know, obviously, no more actions for you. No more shopping. No more engagement. No more breathing, please. You're <laughs> shaping the world through your breath. No more, no more words out of this mouth. Yeah. No, no more thoughts even. Even your thoughts are, are, are impacting us. Yeah. Your expressions, anything. Stop it. Don't change the world. Don't. Impossible. Even if you died, you would change the world. You've got no escape. You're in. You're in. And we have to know that we're in. Yeah. It's inescapable. It's only really a question of how we're going to shape that world. Yeah. So there's the world that we perceive, the world that we know. And are we perceiving it with enough rich possibilities that our view of awakening is available to us? Why do we want to wake up? What do we want to wake up? What part of us? What's asleep that we want to see more awake? And do we feel empowered to bring that into being? Yeah. So the way we view the world, what we want the world to appear to be, might be closer than we imagine. And it might be possible to see it rich with possibilities. And so those are just kind of a, a, a few ideas that we could have around this, this journey. Yeah. And, and there are many, many, many more. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.